fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about the succulent taste of a well-grilled insect with my friend Vienno. Crick on the Barbie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, trying to think of other short forms for bugs that the sound Rubbing the tub on the Barbie. <laughs> yeah. And um, does it have to rhyme? I mean, well, I guess crick on the Barbie, but it rhymed with shrimp. So, but uh, it ha- it just has to sound cool, you know. Um, Roach on the Barbie. I don't know. What do you? What's why? Why is it Australian? That's <laughs> that's the part I don't understand. It doesn't have to be Australian. It's just kind of. I can't think of any other country that has a has a like. Oh, this kind of food cooked this way in a like whimsical. You know. Have you ever had bugs? Is that something that um, you? Probably. <laughs> Yeah. I don't remember a lot of the things that I have eaten. Um, well, like, obviously, there's the, like, uh, you know, non-conscious consuming of the, Or, like, you're not aware that you're consuming it. Like, there's probably bug matter in a lot of the food we consume, right? But that's not, like, you're choosing to go out there to have a bug meal. That's, like, incidental. It has ended up in your meal in some capacity. Like, in that way, I've eaten tons of bugs. But, like, I don't know yeah. that I've ever, like, gone out and had, like, I definitely haven't had a bug meal, but I can't remember even if I've had, like, a bug treat or, like, you know, a chocolate-covered cricket or something. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've definitely had, like, the chocolate-covered or, like, you know, some sort of candied something. Do I consciously remember it? No. Did I definitely eat bugs as a small child once on a dare or a bet or whatever? I'm fairly certain. Do I remember that? Also, no. I feel like, you know, I'm going to be starting up streaming again probably next week. And I think at some point we should do work out a stream where it works for both of us and then have a ceremony where we induct ourselves into the World Economic Forum by consuming some insects. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) That's all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. And then next thing you know, like, we're well-paid advisors for, like, some government somewhere. I mean, all it took for Noah Harari to be the henchman was to show up and give two talks, so. <laughs> Not the henchman, the puppet master. True, sorry. Is is he the controller or part of the, the, the plan? I don't yeah, whatever. But how, how are you feeling? <laughs> mm, alive, you know? You know who's not alive? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And now we got we got Chucky on the throne. Like, oh my god. Ah, uh, yeah. No, it's been a. I I also just feel alive, but like uh, it's been a wild few days on the internet. Uh, or day. I guess it's only been a day since it's happened. But yeah. Uh, for you know, for those listening. It's not going to come up because we're we're still a week delayed uh, in doing this show. So, uh, you know, we will... I'm sure Ezra is going to talk about the Queen's passing next week. But uh, I figured I would at least uh, acknowledge that we are aware that it happened. 
and it is probably going to come up. So, but not this week. Not this week. Not this week. And to all those other people, stop, stop complaining about people laughing about it or whatever. She was a terrible person. That's, you know, we should be allowed to laugh at the death of terrible people. That's all I got to say. There's a very good tweet from um, Walking Eagle News. It said, Tone police conduct raids across the globe in wake of death of Queen Elizabeth II. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, was good. Uh, me and Eric of Big Shiny Takes were blocked by Michael Corrin this morning. <laughs> For those of you who know who uh, Michael Corrin is, so, you know, it's... Uh, it's been one of those uh, days, and for pretty mild takes, all I said to Michael Corrin was that it's, uh, what's wrong with not liking a person who was a part, an integral part of a really shitty institution? And that's also ignoring, like, I, again, it was a mild take from me, even though, like, I would go further and be like, she herself is pretty shitty in her own ways, but even if she wasn't, she's still a part of a very shitty institution, so. Mm-hmm. She's still, you know, divine right of kingsing it in the year 2022, right? Like, I had a tweet to myself where I was like, and y'all thought feudalism was over. <laughs> it's like, why, why do we still have monarchies? I thought we were over this shit, you know? But speaking of feudalists, we... <laughs> we're gonna... This week, you know, I don't think it's gonna be too long, uh... It, it's going to be a weird episode, because primarily what we're going to talk about is bugs. Obviously, with the introduction, a lot of bug talk. But right in the middle, we're going to be interrupted with just some terrible transphobia. So I just want to like flag that now in case it's something you don't like listening to. But we got bug talk, transphobia, and then more bug talk. So, uh, <laughs> so get your favorite cricket snack, and let's go! Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. Now, we're covering the week of August 29th to September 2nd. And on August 29th, I don't have any clips, but I wanted to sort of go over it. Uh, I just like on the periphery because it, it was a weird episode. And... It was weird because it was one of these ones where Ezra gives the entire show over to like a single interview subject and then just talks with them for the whole show. And it was also weird because this time it was with someone I had never heard of before. And even when like looking into her, I'm not sure why she's being highlighted or why she's someone we really need to hear from from the right wing. Other than this is a way of, like, I guess, like, th there must be something going on behind the scenes of the right-wing ecosphere where they're like, this is, like, an up-and-coming politician that we want to promote. And so, like, I feel like this is why this person is on the show. But her name is uh, Ina Vernikov, and she is a Ukrainian Jewish immigrant to America who is currently a sitting Republican counselor in the uh, uh, New York City City Council. So that's where uh, what her elected position 
is, and she's only been in it since 2021, so she's relatively new. She hasn't been in the job for too long. And Ezra is amazed, I guess, for the fact that she's a Republican, uh, because New York is a Democratic city. And I find this just, like, kind of funny, because it's like, yes, New York is a Democratic city, but like many Democratic cities, there's going to be, like, the way the districts are carved up, uh, districts that are more or less Democratic or Republican, which is why on, like, city councils or even, like, state governments, it's not just, like, in states that primarily go Democrat, they're not, like, wholly stat, like, the state governments are not, like, just all Democratic, you know? <laughs> uh, yes, they are, Jody. <laughs> it's a one-party state. Yeah, I mean, like, it's very weird because, like, they think of it, it's like they have blinders in terms of, like, uh, the presidential election, where they think of because a state goes one way in a presidential election, that that must mean that every single politician in that state is Democratic for some reason. But Rudy Giuliani was a Democrat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's, like, weird. Uh, uh, I mean, even Trump was from New York. Let's <laughs> Let's be clear here. So I mean, it's just it's just weird that they think of these things in like these kind of like essentialist ways, you know. Now, the district that Ina was elected to is the 48th district, which contains a large population of Orthodox Jews. And historically, Jews have voted for the Democratic Party, especially the Orthodox uh, Jewish community in New York. But over the last few years, especially with the election of Donald Trump in 2016, the trends seem to be skewing more uh, Republican. Uh, and part of that has to do with both the, uh, the COVID mandates, where uh, the Orthodox Jewish communities in New York did not like the idea that they were being forced to engage in certain like COVID uh, processes, like vaccinating and mandates. There was like pushback from the Jewish community. But then also, uh, again, the, you know, when you think of who's more supportive of Israel, it tends to be more Republican. And so there's a, a shift in sort of like uh, party support in that way, too. So this district, even though it has historically been Democratic, it has definitely been shifting more uh, to the Republicans. And the reason why all this is, is important, I guess, is so as is trying to describe uh, Ina as uh, like a new up-and-comer. She's a rising star. And she's going to be the Republican AOC, uh, I guess, because, like, it's New York. And she's she's a 30-year-old just like AOC and, like, new politician. So he's, like, trying to, like, sell her as this, like, AOC figure. Uh, but, like, he wants to go, though. The a Like, uh, even though she's like AOC, she's much smarter than AOC. Because unlike AOC, uh, Ina has a law degree. <laughs> uh, which fits into like the Republican narrative, which I, I believe you've probably heard too, where they're like, oh, AOC was just a waitress or, or something like this, right? And it's used sort of derogatorily. Yeah. But it is worth pointing out. I mean, AOC uh, did get a degree in uh, international relations and economics. And so she did go to university. And she worked for... Uh, she was an intern for Ted, Ted Kennedy at the age of 19, where she spent most of her time dealing with ICE cases as she was the only person who could speak Spanish within Ted Kennedy's uh, office. 
So she's been involved in politics for a while. It's not like, like, I, like. It, here's the thing: is I don't even think it would matter if she had been in politics or not. I don't think, <laughs> you know, I don't think that matters. It's just funny that they try to sell her as this kind of like, she's a dumb dumb waitress or like whatever they try to do with AOC, you know. But then, the the claim is is that like Ina used to be a Democrat, okay? But she's a reasonable person. She was a Democrat. But now the Democrats have they've gone too extreme, okay? <laughs> yeah. And most of the interview with Ina surrounds this topic. And the extreme is that, I guess, Ina talks about how she grew up in Ukraine. Uh, she left Ukraine when she was 12 years old because her family said they were fleeing Soviet communism. That's not even what it says on our Wikipedia page. What? <laughs> what does it say on her Wikipedia page? Well, one, she was born in 1984, and I moved when she was like 12. It, yeah, like 96 or 92, something like that. So five years after the dissolution of the Soviet Union, and it specifically mentions that living standards in the newly independent Ukraine were declining. And so that's why they left. Yep, so she... she basically sells it that she left because of Soviet communism or at least or at least her living within Soviet communism before it collapsed gives her some keen insights into what the Soviet society is like but as you're pointing out that would make her like 5 or 6 yeah <laughs> no she yeah she was 5 and who <laughs> you know 5 year olds they really know and of course, the other factor is she believes that the Democrats have become anti-Israel. And so she's also uh, changed teams because of that. Okay? I wish. So, <laughs> oh, this is just going to be nuts. So prior to running for city council, she was a registered Democrat. But her only political experience was that she interned for a Democrat named Dove, uh, Dove Heikend who was a New York State Assemblyman. However, Dove, uh, even uh, though he ran as a Democrat, he endorsed Bush, McCain, Romney, and Trump for president. When he considered running for Congress, he planned to run as a Republican, but then uh, eventually decided not to run. He was also a member of the Jewish Def Defense League back in the 1980s. Uh, he's in favor of profiling Muslims, including having their bags searched on subways. Uh, he's also against gay marriage, which he claims will lead to the promotion of incest. Go on. What, what are your thoughts so far about the person that she interned for? Just like all of those are not good. The JDL one is by far the worst. Yeah. The JDL is like so explicitly anti-black. Like so like genuinely like is like, yeah, we should be like arming all of our shopkeepers to shoot any black person that comes into our stores or whatever i mean a lot of his policies uh, and like her policies are like big anti-crime stuff like we need to clean the streets yeah. in new york stuff yeah yes and that means something very specific to them um but like the jdl will like organize like gun shooting practices for um far-right jewish people to go and like shoot targets shaped like the supposed like enemies of the jewish people so it'll be like frames of nazis which you know no problem or frames of palestinians 
or like frames of you know quote-unquote criminals which obviously will have no no bias there whatsoever but also in america the jdl is listed as a terrorist organization sure after it committed a couple assassinations <laughs> So, uh, just some wild connections. So, like, yeah. you're already getting, like, a taste of, like, even though she was registered as a Democrat, this is who she was interning with, and this person was a Democrat within New York. So, this is, like, a weird thing with, like, American politics as well, which is that I think a lot of people think of it as, like, Democrat and Republican as left and right, but, like, they're supposed to be big tent organizations and so you often get it where like people that you wouldn't think ideologically aligned might run for a particular party because they think it gives them a particular advantage even though their politics might differ widely from the larger tent of what the general public considers to be left or right if if that makes sense um mm. Or what they associate as left and right compared to democrats and republicans which is why you can get people like joe manchin uh, who's a Democrat, even though he sucks, you know. So, like, so this is just the nature of the thing, which is why, like, within New York, yeah, it's a Democratic state to a certain degree, so you're much more likely to win as a Democrat than a Republican. However, as what I was saying about the district, not too surprising that she switched over to being a Republican as the wind started changing, you know? Yeah. Uh, another notable thing done by the JDL... Um which I didn't I thought it was connected to the JDL, not directly a JDL member. Um Baruch Goldstein, who committed the um the massacre in the Ibrahimi Mosque, or um I guess in the English it's sometimes called the Cave of the Patriarchs, um, which is the tomb of like the prophet Abraham, Ibrahim, walked into the mosque during prayers and just open fire um 29 dead 125 wounded and that was a jdl member when when did that happen uh 1994 from what i understand he was a member in the 80s like that like just to yeah. say like there's probably a reason why he can run and get elected without some of these sort of like not to because here's the thing is jdl was obviously bad back then as well but like by the time he became a politician uh that part of his past was probably not like present in people's minds when they voted for him uh, or even then maybe because of the community he ran in it, they also could have liked that about him um, yeah <laughs> i'm just um, saying that like he left in the 80s so take that as as you will and i say that as well because like the designation of uh jdl becoming a terrorist organization i think was well after he had left the organization even though i would argue they were like if you're defining terrorism we're still terroristic back then as well he gave an exclusive uh response to the huffington post in uh, 2017. Oh, yeah, here we go. Saying, over 43 years ago, I was very proud to be part of the Jewish Defense League. Eesh. Um, He had previously talked in support of, um, yeah, he said that he supported forming a group of intelligent professionals to assassinate Nazis and Arab American supporters of the PLO. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I know about him, too, is he would... During his time as the assemblyman, he was like 
fighting against like a wax museum that had a uh uh one of the leaders of the PLO <laughs> as a wax figure. I'm not sure if it was Arafat. It might have been Arafat, but either way, uh Yes, yeah, it was he, Arafat. <laughs> he wanted the wax statue removed. That's how much he he hated the PLO. Yeah. So, so this guy sucks. <laughs> Yes, and, like, has not changed his opinions. Like, oh, no, I mean, like, because here's the other thing. So, uh, I should say, so even though he's retired, he endorsed Ina's run for city council uh, as a Republican. Uh, and also, you know, Trump supported her as well, which is kind of, like, why she's become this, like, rising star. And mm-hmm. uh, she maintains, so here's, like, some facts about her. She maintains her own law practice, which seems to have a focus on divorce and immigration. Uh but she's also worked for a bunch of conservative organizations, specifically when she was a, a registered Democrat. And these organizations include a group called Americans Against Anti-Semitism, which is uh, uh, is Dove Hicken's group that is uh, virently, uh, you know, Islamophobic and uh, criticized heavily the PLO and all that. So, uh, so she worked for that organization. She also worked for another think tank called uh, the Lawfare Project, and the Lawfare Project was another uh, Islamophobic organization, which uh, does does the same pressure campaigns, but through uh, lawfare as opposed, uh, you know, so to stop charities from getting funding and stuff like this, right? To to sue governments, uh, to stop funding Muslim groups and stuff like this. Now. The other thing, too, is she she promotes on her website, her law website, of, like, things that she got published. She was publishing in The Blaze, which is Glenn Beck's magazine, while she was a registered Democrat. So, again, they're trying to give her this cred that, like, she used to be a registered Democrat, but now she thought the left went too extreme. She was always this fucking extreme, which is why it's like, I don't know why they're trying to sell her like this. Like, other than, like... She left the left has that same sort of like clout that like a Dave Rubin figure has like the people are like, ooh, she's someone who's thought about this or something like I don't know why it has that appeal. But for some reason, they, they like that trope. So they're they're using it here heavily for her. Yeah. And so like, yes, as things have gone, she's now the minority whip of the New York City Council. And she's mostly known for her criticism of New York's COVID mandates. So since she's been elected since 2021, that's primarily what she's been doing now i tried looking in the news for anything that's relevant like why ezra might be talking to her and the only like more recent news reports i found that include her name is that she visited mar-a-lago back in march and so people are like oh ina this weird new york city counselor she could have had access to all those secret documents (laughs) now i don't see why that's relevant to anything or why this ina person would want these documents but uh, apparently that's come up for some reason in, I, I think Forbes reported on it. And there was like one other outlet as well that she visited Mar-a-Lago at a time when those documents would have been present. So I, I doubt that's the reason why they have her on. But for some, like, I don't know why they have this person on the show <laughs> that we, we need. We need to talk about this rising star. Whose election is not till like 2023, 2024. <laughs> or re-election, I should say. 
Because the other thing is that the only other news article I could see was like some Jewish newspaper out of New York uh, ran like a spotlight on someone who wants to oppose her. And her name is uh, Amber Adler. And so her primary primary is not till June 2023. And she plans to like run against her during the next municipal election. But like that's that's a ways away. (laughs) That's like November 2023. So it's over a year away before we get to that election. Yeah, and just, like, giving the whole show to her, too, just, I don't know. And most of the show was weird, too, because, like, of course, like, you know, they talked about the fact of, like, I grew up in Soviet communism, I know what that's like, and the Democrats are like that now. But, like, the reason why I've got no clips here is because, like, there was no substance to it. Like, it's that, it's the whole idea of, like, I know what it's like, and the Democrats are now like it. But it's like, okay, what does that even mean? What are the Democrats doing that are so much like the the Soviet communists? I mean, I think the only thing that she did say was like, they're against free speech. or like, <laughs> Which is like, sure, whatever, whatever, Ina, like, go for it. But, you know, it's just like, she's this new up and coming star. And so uh, my guess is that we're, or at least other people who cover right wing figures, she's going to be... Uh, present now i'm guessing uh now that like she went to mar-a-lago she's got trump's approval they've been posting pictures with her so she could be someone that gets covered more and and the fact that like ezra has decided like decided to highlight her for a whole episode my my guess is there's some of that going around not to mention that she's a uh younger woman which they they tend to really love that for reasons which should be obvious yeah so that was uh, the 29th. We now get to the 30th. And this show I definitely have clips for. So we're just going to get right into it, which is Ezra opens up by reading a tweet. I saw this tweet a while back. It's from a construction company called Ellis Dawn. And it went viral probably the only time that's ever happened to this construction company. They were bragging about finishing a big factory construction in London, Ontario. You can see a picture of that factory in the tweet. And here's what they wrote. They said the world's largest cricket production facility is officially complete. Aspire Food Group's new plant in London, Ontario is ready to produce 9,000 metric tons of crickets annually for human and pet consumption. Learn more here. And indeed, you can click that link to learn more. But hold up, crickets for human consumption? That's what they say. Can that really be true? Well, if you click the link, it appears to me that takes you to a story in the Canadian Manufacturing Magazine. You can see it for yourself. Aspire Food Group completes production of manufacturing facility. Let me read a few lines without gagging. Aspire's new plant will reportedly produce 9,000 metric tons of crickets every year for human and pet consumption. On May 26th, Aspire Food Group announced that it has completed construction of its alternative protein manufacturing facility. London, Ontario is now home to the world's largest cricket production facility. Aspire's new plant will reportedly produce 9,000 metric tons of crickets every year for human and pet consumption. That's about 2 billion insects to be distributed annually across Canada and throughout the United States. Aspire also reports that it already has orders for the next two years. Crickets are currently being explored as a protein-rich superfood. They contain fire, 
fiber, excuse me, and are already found in grocery stores and restaurants and have a smaller environmental footprint than traditional protein sources. <sighs> I am so grossed out. I was thinking about this story today and I was literally gagging. They couldn't be clearer. It's for humans. They said so in the tweet. They said so in the article. I'm sorry. I gagged a bit there. Oh, my God. He's so dramatic. So like, dramatic. He doesn't even gag. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> he said, like, I'm, he said I'm gagging, like, three times. Yeah. And, like, just, he said the 9,000 metric tons, like, six times. The other one is human and pet consumption. <laughs> Well, and now they've backed off on the human. So whether or not they actually uh, are for pet or human consumption, I mean, like, he's, he definitely, like, part of what he, he wants to highlight here is the human consumption aspect. But of course, with that is, is it can't just be that they want humans to eat it. It's got to be attached to some sort of globalist agenda. So here's the other half of his argument. And they link to the company that owns the factory, Aspire Food Group. And uh, you can click on it, and this is their website. And if you click About Us, they say, We are global industry leaders in advanced insect agriculture. At the bottom of the page is a timeline of the company, and it starts in 2012, when some students from McGill entered into a left-wing globalist project hosted that year by Bill Clinton called the HALT Prize, H-U-L-T Prize. I'd never heard of the HALT Prize before. I went to the website. It's a left-wing incubator, really. Uh, here, they describe themselves as, what is the HALT Prize? The HALT Prize challenges young people around the world to solve the planet's most pressing issues through social entrepreneurship. What does that mean? Well, I don't know. Here's the head of national directors in the HALT Prize Foundation. He's a World Economic Forum global shaper. I think that's what the Hulk Prize is. It's sort of globalism, left-wingism, but lots of billionaires behind it. Uh, a lot of it seems to be about getting people to eat really weird foods. This year, for example, a team called Chilk, <laughs> which they say is making the best tasting, most functional, and coolest alternative dairy in the world. Or Propel Foods, which they say is repurposing invasive species and plants to create modern foods for the modern diet. Are you getting a theme here? I was really hoping that he would say that Chilk was cricket milk. I was so excited. <laughs> we'll get to Chilk in a second. Uh, <laughs> so are we, are we feeling the leftist billionaire vibes here? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. This is very... I, I yeah I love just it, leftist billionaires totally uh totally leftist totally billionaires so I mean the whole prize itself was funded by a Swedish billionaire named uh Battelle Holt who made his money through creating language learning programs called Education First which was based on this idea of uh, immersion in other cultures. So Bertil was dyslexic and thought that uh, cultural immersion made learning other languages easier for him. And so the idea was like, you create some program where you take people to say uh, England, where they will learn how to speak English while in England, basically. Uh, and so eventually these caught on and uh, he made a ton of money. He then uh, created a chain of what are called Holt International Business Schools. And it's these business schools which help to coordinate the Holt Prize. 
The goal of the prize is to promote entrepreneurship. So, you know, something that's very left wing is promoting entrepreneurship <laughs> by a billionaire, uh, you know, where the prize is decided on by Bill Clinton. All left wing stuff here, uh, let me tell you. And uh, it doesn't necessarily have to involve food. So this is just like a funny coincidence, which is like, OK, Bill Clinton chooses the sort of like prize topic, but like. Back in 2013, when the Aspire people won their award, it happened to be one that was about food. And this one in 2021 also happened to be about food. But, like, none of the other prizes, like, some of them have to do with sustainability or, like, renewable energy or, like, whatever. But, like, it just so happened that these two things coincided with food. And as the extent of Ezra's research was seeing what the last prize was and then going off of that and not looking any further <laughs> no actually jody um every year chilk wins aspire <laughs> won one year but like every other year it's been chilk for the last millennia what's even weird so he listed several companies there right so it wasn't just chilk he also mentioned something called propel but this is so weird that if he just did a little bit more digging he could have added something to his conspiracy uh conspiracy narrative which was that in 2021, the prize was suspended after serious sexual misconduct allegations were brought forward after uh, a Holt Prize event. And so uh, there was a huge investigation that's going on internally and externally. And so like I, not a lot of information is out, but eventually they decided they weren't going to choose uh, one winner. Uh, so usually they would have like some main event that like the final event and they would give the winner of that event the, the million dollars but instead mm -hmm. they suspended the whole thing and uh rather than holding a main event they just gave the seven nominees all 150,000 each so there wasn't one a million dollar prize this year they like spread it out okay here's how you can use crickets for so many renewable things one you milk them you got your cricket milk you got your chip <laughs> So what do you so other than so your guess is uh, cricket milk for chill? That's what you think it is. That's what I want it to be, and I don't want it to be produced using crickets. I want you to milk the crickets. What do you think it actually is? Chicken milk. <laughs> um. <laughs> you know the funny thing is so like again he set it up as it's a dairy alternative, right? This is going to, you are going to be like, this is the most boring answer you could give for what it is. It is, it's literally a coconut almond milk. A coconut almond milk. Jody, I don't want to record anymore. <laughs> this is devastating news. This is the worst news that I've heard this week. It's a kick-ass name though. Chilk is a kick-ass name. But then I'm like, it's also like pretty close to Silk, which has its own brand of almond milk. Um, but anyways, other ways that you can use crickets for sustainability. <laughs> Those guys love to jump. You just give them a little um, like hamster wheel type thing, but it's a, it's smaller because they're crickets. Um, and you city. let them go and boom. Yeah. Power the city. Hell yeah. I bet they make a lot of waste. You, That's you fertilizer should, right there. You should apply for a whole prize, Vietnam. <laughs> You're right. Maybe next year it'll be about sustainable energy and you can hop right in there. Yeah, like a cricket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
God damn it. <laughs> the other thing is, so what, what was the other company? Uh, Propel Foods? Literally, it like, I could find no information about part of what the story is here. So like, Ezra says they use invasive species to create food. And like, the description on their website just says that. But most of their products seem to be uh, like veggie burgers, veggie nuggets, like your your typical vegan food. Just that they say it's sourced ethically from these invasive species. But then I'm like, what does that even mean? Is it just that you find the invasive species like around? They're, they're in Mexico, but like it doesn't nothing on their website because it doesn't look like any of their products are ready for like to purchase yet. But like. I, I'm I'm confused about this one. I could not find any other information beyond their website. But either way, it's just plant matter being made into veggie burgers. Cool. Oh no. So <laughs> so shocking. How terrible. Globalists, Jody. They're making veggie burgers. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that's funny is because he said this topic was about like food. In reality, the topic for for the 2021 prize had to do with improving the like food system. So some of the people who applied had nothing to do with like consuming food at all or food at all. Some of them had to do with like one of them was a, a company that was turning cassava into a single use a biodegradable single use plastic. One of them was like uh some sort of uh, AI technology that would make it easier for sustainable farms to sell their goods to the market. Some like technology to, to facilitate that better. And then some of them were just like, you know, of course, Ezra doesn't mention them because they straight up sound normal, which is there was a group called Remango, which was literally like just somehow using a more sustainable process to serve you mango juice. <laughs> Terrifying, I know. The globalists want you to drink mango juice. How how horrifying. That does sound kind of scary. Terrifying, icky, and gross. You know, when I see a mango, I go, ick. He's trying so hard to make this into something. And and of course it just happens to be about our little hometown over here. <laughs> Where this factory is located. So if, if anyone uh, finds out that there's going to be a protest at the local cricket factory, hit me up. I'll go, I'll go check it out. We will cover it live. We'll do the. <laughs> we'll gr bring some crickets from the pet store and just like, you know, release them into the crowd. Or a bunch of lizards. <laughs> the only way to defeat the cricket factory is to release a bunch of lizards from the facility. <laughs> just a little old lady who swallowed the fly. Like... <laughs> keep releasing more and more invasive and destructive creatures. So the main reason Ezra brings up this whole London factory shindig is because of this CBC article, which calls out the conspiracy theorists. So Ezra wants to debunk the article, but here's him leading into sort of like the debunking, and then we'll sort of break down what he thinks he wants to accomplish here. All right, so, so far, all we have is a weird story about an insect farm getting millions of dollars from Trudeau. At the same time, Trudeau declares war on real farms. We see that Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum are obsessed 
with getting people to eat gross things like bugs and algae and synthetic food. And the insect farm in London, Ontario, has a board member who is a World Economic Forum hero. And in fact, the whole insect farm company, Aspire Food Group, got its start with a globalist grant handed out by Bill Clinton. So those are the facts as told by every document I've shown you. Many from the company's own website, many from the World Economic Forum's own website, I showed you the Industry Canada documents. No speculation, no guesses, just the facts. And this story's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I'm interested in it. Bugs? We did a Rebel News story about it a few weeks back, and others in the media wrote about it too. And it's so interesting and troubling, and you paid for it all. I mean, they really do want you to eat the bugs. Even if you don't want to, they'll take your money to give to the bug farmer. Okay, but look at this. I told you that my monologue today was the story about the worst journalist in Canada. And I will keep my promise. Look at this. It's from the CBC. How a London, Ontario cricket plant found itself at the heart of an international conspiracy theory. Seven days after the factory was built, it was falsely implicated in a global conspiracy. And this story is written by um, this guy, Colin Butler, who they say is a veteran journalist with 20 years experience in print, radio, and television in seven Canadian cities. Oh, I bet he is. Let me take you through his story, but just in case you're, you're counting, we haven't even got past the headlines, and he's already said conspiracy theory twice, and the word false once. <laughs> Let's go through it. Let me read a few paragraphs in a row where I'm sure Colin will present his evidence to support his claim that this is fake news and a conspiracy theory. Ready? So I stopped there because we don't actually need to hear him read the article. You can go read the article yourself. Uh, he, he mainly, I mean, like, even just the framing. What, like, Ezra, Ezra thinks that this is, like, the worst article that's ever written because it, it's saying that the, these people are spreading conspiracies. And he's coming from it saying that, like, no, these aren't conspiracies. What I laid out to you is true. And what Ezra has laid out is that you have the, the global cabal, and that global cabal is wanting you to eat insects, and so they're using the London factory as, like, a leg in the feeding of you, the, the insects. You rubes, you sheeple, <laughs> that will be consuming these insects, okay? Now, the CBC writer... Most of what the pushback in the article seems to be, there seems to be two pushbacks. And one of them Ezra hits on pretty hard. The other one he kind of ignores, which is like one leg of the conspiracy theory is that the government is going to force you to eat these bugs. Ezra never touches that, but it seems like key to his argument. And it is one of the main things that the article points out as being a conspiracy theory. And he even reads it on a show. And it's like, what is the evidence that they're actually going to force you to eat these bugs? It doesn't exist. <laughs> okay? So that one just doesn't get addressed. But the other one that does get addressed is this idea that whether or not the cricket factory is selling it for human versus pet consumption. The quote in the article says, CBC News reached out to Aspire Food Group, which owns the cricket plant. Mohammed Ashur, the company's chief executive, was unavailable for comment Thursday and Friday. Ashur told Vice News in July that the company no longer markets its products for human consumption and focuses only on pet food because, he told the publication, 
crickets have a bit of an ick factor. Because here's the, here's the thing. In my own research and looking, because I was like, I'm curious what the Aspire website says. And most of the website on Aspire seems like they're still trying to promote the idea that you can use crickets for human consumption. And it's probably because it's the same reason why they won the Aspire Prize back in, or the, uh, uh, whatever the, the name of that prize was, the Her, Her, Holt, the Holt Prize. The reason why they won that Holt Prize was because they were trying to market this as a sustainable food option for human consumption. Okay? Yeah. So it's like, that is going to be like in the back of their head. But again, like, it, it's it's a large difference to say that like, they're trying to make it marketable to humans eventually than to say this is some sort of like globalist plot to force you to eat these things. <laughs> Especially when like, of course, if you're opening the factory, you're not immediately going to have a market for human consumption. Like you're going to have to sell it for other things first and try to grow a human market, which is why the most likely option is you're going to start by using it as is feed of some kind. So it's not that surprising, but that's the thing that, like, Ezra is just, this is the worst CBC article he's ever read, and they're frauds, and they're liars, and there really is a conspiracy, and they're trying to cover it up. Can I read my favorite two paragraphs from the article? Yeah, go for it. Um, There's a growing number of people who think our country is messed up and our politicians are puppets, McMullen told CBC News when asked Thursday about the post, uh, because he made a Facebook post, and it's Mike McMullen who ran for the PPC, uh, and I think maybe the New Blue, provincially, and actually no, maybe that was someone else, um, and uh, is currently a um, candidate for city council in London as well. Um, yes, a lot of people are concerned that they're going to get them to eat bugs. When asked for evidence, McMullen was unable to prefer <laughs> anything except for the biographies of a few prominent Canadian politicians on the World Economic Forum website including Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland. I think that is the plan, McMullen said. This is my opinion I'm giving you. Yeah. Like, it's just so good. He also goes hard on uh, Alison Meek, who is a historian at uh, King's, which is an affiliate campus to Western University. And uh, she basically said that it's for pet consumption. And so... Uh, all these conspiracy theorists are are losing it over nothing, and uh, Ezra is just like, you probably haven't even read the WE World Economic Forum stuff that I've read. Who are you, Allison? <laughs> I do like Dr. Meek. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, good times. But that's, I mean, so as for this episode, that that's it for the bug stuff uh, in this episode. And like, it's just weird to me that this happens in London. It's just, <laughs> it seems like this show oddly circles around our city for whatever reason. It all comes back. But we're not done with the week. I mean, we're not even done with that episode. So after the bug story, Ezra eventually interviews Leslie Lewis, who is still a candidate for the Conservative Party of Canada, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, which is happening tomorrow as we record, I think, right? The 10th? I think that's tomorrow. I think so, yeah, because they just confirmed they're not going to delay it because the queen died. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear Lord. So, yeah, we'll see if Leslie Lewis becomes the leader of the CPC. I don't think so, and uh, neither does Ezra even when talking to her. But 
That being said, the whole interview is weird because I guess Leslie Lewis made some comment uh, or like post where she compared the vaccine mandates to violating the Nuremberg laws uh, that came after the Holocaust. Uh, and, <laughs> and so she got some flack for that comparison, I think for obvious reasons. Uh-huh. And she's on with Ezra to be like, no, I was right. And Ezra pretty much just agrees with her and is like, yeah, we are violating human ethics by mandating that people get vaccinated. Uh, it's just like the treatment of Jews in the Holocaust when they were medically experimented on. So Wonderful. Yep. And like, there's nothing to, to quote from that. Although I do find it funny that at one point, London says that... Uh, Western, or, sorry, Ezra at one point says that uh, Western University is violating the Nuremberg laws with their booster mandate. <laughs> so another London, Ontario <laughs> uh, piece of this puzzle. So, you know, there we go. It all circles back. Which takes us to the 31st and the opening half of the 31st. I really don't care. It's uh, Ezra talking about the guy who yelled at Christian Freeland. This, like, made the Twitter rounds for a couple days where some guy was very belligerent and, I think, accused Freeland of treason and told her to go F herself or something. And everyone, you know, was bringing out the smell and salts. And, and like, I don't like Ezra's take either, but, like, I think some of the liberal media overreacted with it as well. I don't agree with what the person yelled, but, like, people are going to yell. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, and I get it. Big masculine dude yelling at a woman, not good. Uh, and I can understand some increased anxiety over that. But at the same time, it's like people are going to yell at politicians. That's that. This is one thing where I'm like, is okay because sometimes politicians do really shitty things and they deserve to be yelled at. So, yep. So moving on. <laughs> now we get to the the transphobic uh, segment, the transphobic segment. So uh, if that, of course, bugs you, uh, move right along. But uh, yeah, this one's this one is uh this one's this one's not great. It's not great. And I guess the person that Ezra is interviewing is Katie Davis Court. Now again, this is their new employee who is in the Seattle uh Seattle area, I guess is where she's located. And she's also again the one who sent out a tweet saying Antifa was burning down the forests and like other stuff. She's, she's just a terrible human person. And this, this like vindicate, like are not vindicates, I guess further, <laughs> further, uh, installs her as a, just a disgusting depraved human being. So let's get to it. Katie is on to tell the story about this 80 year old woman who caused a scene over a trans woman in a woman's changing room at a YMCA. And so that is just like the brief notes. And I'm going to begin by playing how Ezra and Katie describe what happened. Now, the only thing that precedes the part that I'm going to play is he opens this segment by playing this clip where I guess Katie had interviewed the older woman, the 80-year-old. And then they play a clip of, I guess, Katie, like harassing the YMCA to get an interview. Uh, and so th what we're going to hear is immediately after hearing those two clips. But we don't need to hear those clips. We're just going to hear how they open up the segment. 
a transgender staffer in the changing room watching little girls take off their bathing suits to go to the bathroom and the chutzpah of saying that that grandma uh, was the one violating privacy. Outrageous. Joining me now via Skype. From the side of the highway is our friend Katie Davis-Court, who pulled over to do this interview. Katie, I am so mad. I am so grateful to that grandma for standing up for those kids. There was no parent there. Those were. It sounds like they were very young girls, too, like children of tender years. I'm not talking—I mean, it wouldn't be good for any age. Teenagers would be even more— shy i think but imagine having a grown man in there watching young girls undress that is super gross right it's truly a remarkable story and what i find even more uh frustrating and what needs to be brought to issue is instead of them listening to julie's concerns they immediately banned her from the ymca swimming pool for hate and discrimination instead of listening to her concerns about a male, a biological male, watching girls, they were under the age of 10, undressed to use the restroom. And it just, where are we at this day and age? It raises a lot of concerns about the future. They have no basis for saying she's full of hate. And uh, discrimination means choosing. There is a difference between boys and girls, men and women. And that's why we have men and women's bathrooms. And the idea that men can be in women's bathrooms and watch young children disrobe is is so alien to to our well to the privacy of the girls to the privacy of those young girls they were the ones discriminated against they lost their privacy and frankly their security of the person as they say so i played that full clip because this this pretty much gets all the, the hits all the main points this is all the factual information that we as the audience gets to what happened at this ymca the only other sort of like factual points where th that sort of get brought up is some of the back and forth between like there was protests and the counter protests outside. But as to the incident itself, this is pretty much all we get. Now from that, like, like what, like what do we get from that? <laughs> I have no idea because I can't picture a single context in which like that is how things occur. Like, I guess the staffer was just there to make sure somebody didn't cause, like, a mess or something. I don't know. Um, but also just, like, it's very telling that they regard all, like, you know, men or quote-unquote males or whatever as just, like, automatically predators. And that's why the separations have to happen. <laughs> um, which is a little bit like, hmm, maybe, maybe maybe a bit of projection but yeah um just sounds stupid that's kind of it i mean w once you hear what the real story is this is this is so disgusting what they're doing just utterly fucking repulsive and uh like this should be much like keffel's abolished kiwi farms from the internet rebel news should be abolished from the internet i'm just gonna say it I think they should be scrubbed completely from the internet. That is my humble personal opinion. And uh, I love that you haven't had that opinion before now. This this cements it in a way like, let me so let me just read the story. Okay, so this yeah. incident occurred in Washington state. It's like uh, in, a, in a county uh, that's unspecified 
to avoid some harassment here, but the trans woman in question was a teenager who works for a swimming camp program at the YMCA. So again, they framed it as like this person was an adult watching these kids. It was a teenager who was working at a summer camp. That is what we're dealing with here. And the teenager was escorting the young girls in their watch into the dressing room at the end of their swim. Now, as a supervisor of these young children, they're supposed to keep an eye on them at all times and make sure that they don't lose them, which is why there was a group of girls in the changing room and they got changed and then move. The idea was they get changed, move along, get to their parents, etc. right? Yeah. So this was this person's job as a swim teacher at a YMCA camp. Yeah. Now, it should be pretty obvious, but that like to work at a camp like this, you have to uh, pass a background check. You get training in terms of like uh, sexual harassment and stuff like this. And so one of the things is they're not allowed to be like one trainer alone with one of their students. They always have to be in groups like this, all like ways to sort of like minimize that kind of stuff, regardless of whether this person was trans or cis or whatever, right? That's just the protocols for everyone. Yeah. So then what happened was, as this person is supervising the the children that were put under their care, as again, their teenage camp counselor, basically, this 80-year-old woman walked up to them and asked them if they had a penis. Once the person responded, like, don't do that, like, what are you doing? She proceeded to be extremely belligerent to the point where the YMCA had to call the police and drag her ass out of the building. She then came back the next day, stood outside the YMCA with a sign that says men who identify as women are using the women's showers in the YMCA. And then, of course, this whole thing blew up. You had bigots showing up. You had counter-protesters showing up, all to the point where the YMCA had to close down. Uh, at least until they feel like the death threats have subsided and they could begin to go back to normal. Yeah. And how they're framing it is a grown, quote-unquote, biological man is staring at young women changing in this washroom. It's fucking repulsive. Mm-hmm. And it's it's... Just like the pieces we covered earlier with James Lindsay, this is like continuously perpetuating this violence against trans people to the point where like, like it's it's like so mind numbing, but like it's like the whole community is suffering. You're shutting down the whole YMCA because this belligerent old fucking hag can't stand it. Like, it's 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 frustrating. <laughs> And it needs to stop. And the thing is, it's not going to stop until we push these people off of the internet. Until we push people like this out of earsight for other bigots, you know? Yeah, it is kind of just like, I don't know, the usual stochastic terrorism. I mean, so I'm, I'm going to play one, one more clip. I got two more clips from this. But the next clip I mainly want to play, just to let you like see again, as he repeats some of these talking points, 
But look how he wants to stress certain things, which again lays in like he's trying to whip up the people that are listening to the show. You know, your petition is called Let Her Swim. Is that what it's called? Let Her Swim? Yes. And I think that's right. Uh, Julie Germain should be let into swim. But that's just the smallest part of this. The biggest part is this insane violation of the privacy of girls and women. I mean, yeah, I want Julie Germain in there to, to swim again. Let the let her swim. Don't kick her out. But But even if she was allowed back in... Oh, my God. It sounds like they are standing by this transgender person having full access when there are children of tender years in there. Like, again, when they're of tender like he's trying to, like, stress this idea that, like, oh, my God, these children are merely exposed to a trans person. Yeah. It's also like, like, it's so obvious that, like, one, like, I don't know, it, it's just such a weird, like, way to frame how interactions between adults and children are because it's like it's such an automatic presumption of violation that it's kind of like why are you thinking about children this way <laughs> like why is that your presumption yeah it's really messed up just in terms of like you know i have someone with really young kids who uh, i have uh memories of them both when they were in kindergarten but also in daycare and like often daycare facilities are set up that they like have the kids where they need to use the washroom like a a uh i don't know what more way to put it than like a piss train where they line them all up and like but like the person is there supervising while they're all taking their turns peeing because they're of such an age where it's like they're not fully capable or like they take their time. They're not fully dropping their trowel. You know, it's like a whole ordeal. Plus you got 20 kids. You're one person. Like the, this is how certain things are set up in a specific way, you know, in society. And some of those people who work at daycares are going to be men. Some of them are going to be women. Some of them are going to be non-binary. Some are going to be trans. And this is happening everywhere. And it's like, for some reason, like in that context of the daycare, like, I don't know why that doesn't come up as much but it's like it's at a change room because like it is perfectly quarantined off with like woman and man that that becomes like the focal point you know mm -hmm. but it's like all these just as in in terms of like these ymca camp counselors as they're they need to pass background checks or have certain qualifications the same thing applies to people who work at daycares they have to pack pass background checks etc like like all and this is the thing it's like it's not just anti-trans but there's an element here in which it's like it's it's forcing this sort of patriarchal norm because they are against daycare too they want to get rid of the whole idea that like kids will be out in public being supervised by other people when they should be at home with their mothers living in a under a christian family led by the man yeah no like that's literally it and that's like what all of this is kind of like based around is, you know, that any other thing is an automatic danger when also, again, most, you know, childhood sexual abuse occurs at home. Like, yep. And, that, and that's the thing. And they want to get rid of sex ed, which it's like if you want to teach people how to become more aware of when they're being sexually abused, you need to teach them and you need to teach them young. And yeah. they refuse to want to do that, which is only going to exacerbate the shit. The actual 
uh, sexual abuse that's usually coming from the family. No, it's it's terrible. Everything that they're doing here is terrible. It's like not just the explicit transphobia, which leads to the stochastic terrorism aspect that is terrible, uh, but just the ramifications for the rest of society is also terrible. Everything is terrible. And like, I, I don't know. I mean, like, as I say this, I know why like people are bigoted. So, of course, it's going to appeal to people. But it's like, Jesus fucking Christ, this needs to stop. Especially like, because like, you know, as we point out, like, it, there's an element to this that is just so silly. It's like a rational fear over nothing, you know? And that's what I think, like, makes it also, like, hard to push back against. Because it's, like, it's so obviously stupid. And yet it's causing so much harm. So, for... Uh, <laughs> I should... I will... I have one more clip of this before we move on. And this is just, like, notice... What's the one thing that's been missing so far in the story that we've covered? Um... The parents. Yeah. What about the parents of the kids? So Ezra, I think Ezra's gonna again go along the same lines of like, uh, again, he wants to repeat that this is a grown man watching young kids in the washroom. Like that's the talking point he's gonna keep on repeating. But then I think in doing this, he realizes that oh yeah, the, what about what do the parents think? You know, my my view on transgenderism is that I believe that the the law and the rules should be a shield, not a sword, to protect people from being picked on. I agree with that. Not a sword to force your way into a change room and stare at children of tender years going to the bathroom. That's the creepy part. And tr transgenderism, the political ideology, is about using it as a sword to attack others, to change the world rather than to protect yourself and, and your privacy. I'm all for the privacy and dignity of, of someone who is confused or feels like they're a different, I mean, that's fine. That's none of my business in a way, but they're forcing other people to be part of, of their drama. Um, I can only imagine, I mean, and without, without warning and without their parents there, that is terrifying. Do we know anything more about those kids? Do we, do we know who their parents were or who the kids were? Do we hear any more from them? Right. I've tried to investigate some of their Port Townsend, you know, social media activists, have written back saying that, oh, no, the parents are in support of the trans staffer, but you can't verify that. So mm -hmm. they haven't been publicly speaking out. I don't know if it's because it's a minor eight, they're minor kids or and they don't want that to be exposed. But mm -hmm. if I was a parent, I would be all over this issue. I feel like most normal parents mm -hmm. would be, especially with the allegations brought forth. Mm -hmm. But then again, Port Townsend is very left-wing, so you don't know what's going on. You don't know who these kids are, and you don't know who their parents are. So yeah. that's the latest on the kids. So you know what they teach you in journalism school is to speculate on what you would do if you were a parent. <laughs> True. That's journalism. It, it's amazing, that, like, obviously, because this would ruin their whole narrative. But of course the fucking parents know. They signed up their kids to be a part of this camp. <laughs> yeah. They know who they signed their kids up with. Like, <laughs> it's so fucking, so it's like, you're, you have been clutching your pearls this whole fucking interview about like, oh my God, these poor innocent children. When the parents were like, no, like, we accept trans people as trans people and we don't mind a trans person looking after our kids. End of fucking story. And the per and it's weird because Ezra sets up that whole narrative about like, 
the the law needs to be a shield, not a sword, or whatever the fuck he said. Meanwhile, it's like Washington state law says that a trans woman is a woman, and they can use whatever uh, washroom they prefer to be in, or any change room they prefer to be in. So it's like, who's using the law as a shield or a sword? in this situation is it the staff that allowed this person to work at their ymca or is it this 80 year old woman who loses her fucking mind because she's a bigot yeah just like everything about this just so fucking stupid such frustrating stupid nonsense and i feel so bad for this trans teenager that has to put up with this shit so yeah, uh, fuck, fuck all this. So let's talk about bugs again. <laughs> I, should, <laughs> I should say, okay, we got a, uh, that was the end of that episode. Now, September 1st comes along and they accidentally uploaded the wrong episode. So we get to <laughs> skip a day. <laughs> Wonderful. You know, we're just journalism highlight after they're just nailing this job they're just fucking nailing it so hard uh so september 2nd sheila is the guest host and she opens up with talking about polling about how people think about the convoy and you know what i think about that segment i don't care the second half as well of the uh the polling episode about the convoy sheila just interviews uh, david menzies about patrick brown and i i covered this so many times i don't care so she then has her own mailbag segment. So the first mailbag segment we're going to listen to, though, was right after the transphobic piece. Ezra comes back on to read some mail. And the first thing that he responds to is someone who asks him about the bugs. So, <laughs> okay. So in this, uh, Ezra decides he's going to speculate on the evolutionary mechanisms behind a sort of like disgust reflex to the bugs. Randall F. Burgess talks about my story about the crickets and says eating bugs or crickets or mealworms is not even advised by the National Institutes of Health, which did a study as they are unhealthy for human consumption due to the high levels of parasites that then infect humans from the ingestion of insects. You know, I got to tell you, yesterday recording that monologue, I was literally gagging. I had to stop the recording several times and redo it. I was so embarrassed. I, I was maybe a little bit nauseous anyways, but just talking about eating bugs. There is a reason why we gag when we see bugs. What's that reason? I, I think if you, if you believe in God or if you believe in um, evolution and Darwin, whatever you believe what? in. What? You've got to notice that our gag reflex when we see rotting food or maggots or bugs aligns with our health interests, aligns with our natural interests. Why do we find delicious foods smell great and look great? And why do we think unhealthy things like maggot or rotting food? Why do we think the smell of um, curdled milk or rotten eggs is so offensive? There's nothing inherent in the chemistry of those smells that makes them bad other than our bodies think so. I think that is 10,000 generations of don't eat that, don't eat that, uh, natural selection. If you eat the rotting meat, if you eat the bugs, you will be sick and die. So your body, why does your body throw up when you have things in, why, and you have too much alcohol? Why does your body throw it up? Because it's trying to expel the poison. There is a reason we are nauseous and gag. When we see bugs, 
They're not meant to be eaten. Oh, I'm getting sick again just talking about it. That's our show for today. Poor boy has a really sensitive tummy. I, what I loved about that piece is when he's like, you know, rotting flesh, maggots, it really makes us disgusting. You know, it's like, because there's something disgusting about rotting flesh and, and, and bugs. And it's like, it's that last leap that doesn't make sense. Because he was saying looking at bugs makes you gag. Could you imagine just walking around, you see a fly, and just like... (laughs) 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 You would be like gagging all fucking day. Like, there's bugs everywhere. (laughs) It's like, okay, so there might be some evidence that we evolved some sort of evolutionary propensity to gag or like find the smell of rotting flesh unappealing for very obvious reasons of the bacteria or infections that could come from eating like rotting flesh right but that doesn't translate to all bugs it also doesn't translate to like like a lot of like you know rotting or like bad smelling things you know sometimes that's like you know the cured meats or like whatever bullshit like you know so much of that is like very specific, you know? And also it's very possible to get over nausea and gagging when you are exposed to things often, you know? Like it's so like that's what you know when you see a bug and you get nauseous and you start gagging and it's like <laughs> you know not all of us do that, Ezra. <laughs> like, I mean, like, the reason why I say some evidence, because there is some evidence of, like, a universal gag reflex to things like rotting meat, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, but that, but what you just picked up on there is, like, just because there seems to be this tendency doesn't mean you can't overcome it. And also doesn't mean, like, we know more about food now, too, to know that, like, something might be safe enough that it's, like, worthwhile to overcome or, like, whatever, you know? Uh, it's just like people being afraid of heights when it's like we know usually that skyscrapers are like structurally sound or something you know uh, so it's like you can overcome that shit so it's like weird to be like just because we might have this like inbuilt uh, potential to have this gag reflex doesn't mean that you can't like override that or overcome it or do something else you know it's this weird sort of like again essentializing about evolution here that is not backed up by the evidence of evolution i guess my point with like the rotting stuff though is like you know in iceland they eat that like fucking fermented shark (laughs) right so like you know it is still culturally specific in a lot of ways it is what they call an acquired taste with a weird fika fish that like the swedes eat yeah right like Wikipedia describes the fermented shark as having a strong smell similar to that of many cleaning products. <laughs> I don't think I would enjoy that. However, I guess those Icelandic people do. Plain chicken isn't that good either. You know, like plain <laughs> plain most meats isn't like that delicious of a flavor. You generally add spices or salt or, you know, something to it. 
that brings out flavor. I mean, raw bugs, some might like them still, but like, you know, raw bugs might not even be that great. But who knows? Season that up, cook it up. It's now a different thing. Just like you wouldn't just eat a raw chicken breast. Like, mm, I wouldn't trust that from Ezra's audience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but yeah, the raw meat diet. <laughs> yeah. Like. Oh my god. So, yeah, but it's it's their whole way of talking about this is so silly. All just to make a point about like the bugs are icky, you know, which is just kind of silly. I will now. Yeah. Unless you got something to, to finish, we can move on to Sheila's mailbag question. No, it's just kind of like, just say, ew, icky, icky, gross. I don't want to. And like, be done with it. I mean, I don't like broccoli. And I realize that my Die. distaste of broccoli. I know, I'm, I am very weird. There's something about my taste buds. My whole family likes broccoli. Even my kids, which is like weird because usually you associate kids with being, ew, gross, broccoli. My kids like love broccoli. But there's something about my taste buds where it's just I've never liked broccoli. But I don't then say that because I have this propensity to feel one way, that therefore everyone needs to have my propensity. <laughs> you know, everyone else can like broccoli, and I'm okay with that. And I don't think it's being forced on me if the grocery stores offer it as an option. <laughs> Jody, you'd be amazed with the number of bugs that I've eaten. Just because my mouth was wide open while I was gagging when I saw them. <laughs> oh, God. That's how I know bugs are yucky. You'll I see one, I go, <laughs> and then it flies down my throat, and then I've eaten a bug. I do I'm love I'm Doug that. Ford. <laughs> Implicit in what he was saying was every time he sees a bug, he just gags, and it's like, how do you live? Maybe that's why he's in Toronto, where they're like <laughs> largely devoid of insects, so he can somehow uh, exist. So then we get to Sheila's mailbag segment, which again is on the uh, Friday, because we don't have a Thursday show. And uh, I should say, okay, one thing that is never really explained when it comes to the they want to force us to eat bugs narrative is why are they doing this? You notice how they never touch on that? Like, why are the global elites making it so that you eat bugs? Uh, Just because they can because they're rich and they want to be like, ha ha ha, we don't have to eat bugs, but you do. So every time Ezra's talked about it, like Ezra, like he'll go to the answer that you give, uh, that you just gave every once in a while. He'll like dip into that where it's like, they want to sit there while they're eating their steaks and then look down at the peasants who are forced to eat bugs or something like that. That's, that is sort of the argument that he gives. Sheila, however has a different explanation for why they want you to eat bugs. Today's viewer feedback is on Ezra's cricket monologue from the other day. And I understand that he had a tough go of that <laughs> monologue. He had to stop a few times and uh, stifle the dry heaves. And who can blame him? Humans are hardwired to feel revolted at things that we're not supposed to eat. It's whether you think it is the hand of God or evolution or both of them working together, those sorts of responses are what have has kept us alive so far. Keeps us from getting sick, from getting parasites, from getting uh, food diseases, food poisoning, 
listen to your gut. Uh, on that monologue, JS writes, I have a dairy farmer in the family. They work so hard. They are not living rich, but they make an honest living. Who knows if this generation's old family farm can continue? I live on the family farm. We are running the family farm. This is the first farm that my family had when they came to this province in 1903. And there really is a war on farmers between the carbon tax, the nitrogen targets, the war on meat, the war on dairy. I mean, really, it's a war on your mind because your mind, your human mind needs things in animal products to function properly so that you can formulate thoughts and resist what the elites want to do to you. It's not about meat. It's about your health and an unhealthy populace is easy to control. And that's why they want you to switch from delicious beef over to crunchy, disgusting crickets. Hey, Sheila. What kingdom of life are crickets? <laughs> no, it's all the the parasites. They they want you to they want you to be weak so they can control you. I'm eating plant based crickets. I sh I should just like right on the tip of like whether or not this would be an effective measure of population control. What usually happens when there's a famine in a country? Do the people just passively sit there and starve, or what? What, what do they tend to do usually? Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean. Often, the like when there has been famines, do. there's been rebellions. I think there was the the uh, was it Sri Lanka where they they took over the presidential palace after a food shortage. Uh, so that can happen. Of course, sometimes they do. Uh, they can take it and starve. But then, but then, how would that work as a plan? Like, if the population was just passive, took it and starved or whatever, that doesn't feed the the sort of like narrative that Shield is saying, whether they're then like more controllable. And if if they're weaker and therefore more controllable, like wouldn't wouldn't the elites want them to still be like workers? But how would they be able to work if they're like starved or parasitized? <laughs> they're frail beings, and now you're gonna make them like work in the factories for you or or something like? Yeah, because they'll be so dumbed down that like they won't mind factory labor. It's. Because factory you know, labor is so easy. You'll... <laughs> they'll sit there and they'll turn their little nozzle on their factory until they starve to death. And then you put in the next one. So on the note of parasites as well, because it just dawned on me while listening to Sheila talk. For one, like we, when we talked about the Amish farm story the other day, uh, we had commented on the fact that she said we farmers. And so she gave a bit of a backstory here to understand where that was coming from. But then there's the other part of it where it's like they were willing to take a risk and drink listeria contaminated raw milk. <laughs> and yet they're like, I don't know about these bugs and all these parasites. <laughs> well, Jody, do you dr do you gag when you drink raw milk? Have you No. I gag you when shit I shit yourself to death. <laughs> Yeah, you gag on the other end. That's, uh... Yeah. I... <laughs> That's gross. Nope. Uh, 
Have you like have you seen infected udders though? Like remember this was like a farmer who like uh would not use medicine to treat his cows. And like watching farmers milk uh pus filled udders is utterly repulsive. So uh yes, that that could cause a gag reflex, but uh, that's what they want in their milk. So that's what you're going to get. One other thing though, Jody. Raw milk is made out of animals, unlike crickets. <laughs> Listen, we we're talking about evolution and stuff here, but we don't have to get into like cladistics here, okay? We're not gonna break down the species boundaries here. All right? Have you seen? They got like okay. exoskeletons and stuff. Like, eh, gross. <laughs> they got exoskeletons, like plants or something. Like fungi. The last thing I want to hit on is this whole notion about parasites. There's like this one study that all these people keep referring to, which was done recently that showed that like there are uh, various forms of parasites found in factories that produce cricket food. But that doesn't necessarily translate to like whatever the final product is that you receive, whether it has these particular things in them in the same way that like have you have you been to a farm have you seen the shit the cows and pigs rolling like there's bacteria parasites viruses all over a normal farm as well the question is whether it ends up in the final product and so this one study although indicative of some possible contagions that might exist within a uh, farm that say grows crickets doesn't necessarily uh, mean that you are going to digest these parasites and then get ill and so frail that the World Economic Forum will control you or whatever Sheila is, try is trying to postulate it. And most of that, again, will ha it'll have to be tested through uh, clear sort of like health regulations before it can leave the plant and become humanly consumed. Well, Jody, crickets are crickets are grown in plants, so that's why they're not animals. Delicious. <laughs> Read that CBC article, I guess. Uh, and also if you're in a place that still has a monarchy, uh, fuck Chuck. We don't like that guy. I hope that he gets Charles the first tid. Um, cause Charles the first was beheaded. Have you seen his fingers? Yeah, I heard that they're sausagey. They are very sausagey. It is weird. Go, you know, read the article and then Google Prince, well, I guess King Charles's uh, fingers. And, I'm not uh, calling him King. Um, <laughs> I'm calling him a Chuck. That's it. He's got little um, breakfast sausage fingers. <laughs> the other thing that I have is a Wikipedia article uh, about um, Narissa and Catherine Bose Leon, uh, who are first cousins of the um, recently departed Queen, that were. Um, written as having died in 1940 and 1961 
and were actually just imprisoned in a um, institute for uh, people with like mental disabilities and uh, died in 1986 and 2014. Never visited, never had letters sent to them, nobody came to their funerals. Fiano, why are you speaking so ill of the queen? Fiano, people are mourning. We gotta, we gotta come together. People are celebrating. Yeah, it's fireworks time. It's, you know, Lizzie's in a box. <laughs> that video, if you, if you want to see one video, is watching a bunch of Irish soccer fans chanting Lizzie in a box was delightful. Call it soccer. Disgusting. Well, we just we could ignore that part and just appreciate uh, Lizzie being in a box. Yeah. And if you good times for all. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully the next monarch does not get to die um, in a hospital bed surrounded by loved ones. Well said. And with that, if you appreciate what we do <laughs> and you support us. Uh, Please consider giving us, a, uh, giving us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have a Discord set up. We do Twitch streams every Monday. Once, when I, why, am I, why am I saying the old script? There was a mistake made. I will be starting Twitch streams next week. I will post it on the Twitter. So if you want to watch Twitch streams, it'll be during the day, likely. But uh, tune in next week. Any of the links to all of this will be found in the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at masontickle.com. Thank you for listening. And Ashida Domestica, you canceled. Who the fuck is that? That is a house cricket, you know? They're they're being grown in a farm factory in London, Ontario. What don't you understand? <laughs> it's Acheta domesticus. No, it's domestic. You got it. Nope. I think domestic. I have an article is... on uh, radiation induced induced stress and transgenerational impact. My source said domesticus, not domesticus. So you know what. Was your, your source, source. <laughs> the National Library of Medicine, uh, PubMed.gov? I don't think so. Because uh, I was looking up if you could irradiate crickets and use them for nuclear energy. You can't. They don't survive radiation too good. My source was the good lord above. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields? <laughs>